Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and this episode is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, your premier tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Well, Sean, how you been, man? It's been about a week or so since we had a chance to talk. Yeah, I've been I've been doing a lot of traveling, a lot of presentations, talking about weather and all, and meeting a lot of farmers and dairymen and such. So I've been pretty been pretty busy, been pretty cold, minus three in Iowa, mm-hmm. but back here in. Uh, it flow looks like we're supposed to have a, a chilly 75 degrees. That so, sounds brutal, man. I don't know how you're going to make it. It's, uh, you know, I, I think I need to move out of the area. You're going to so. get your snow skis out so you can get to this grocery store? Get my water skis out, yeah. <laughs> right on. All right, man. Well, there's a ton of stuff going on. This week has been pretty volatile week. We've had everything from, I think we, we've gained what we've lost, and we've lost what we gained. So there's it's been all over the place in inner Interday trading volatility has been uh, extremely uh, high as well. So um, a lot of stuff going on. This coronavirus thing that's out there really shocked the market earlier in the week, but it looks like uh, uh, China's got everything under control, just like the swine flu. So they got that all squared away, and they're uh, waiting to see what happens. But there's a lot of nervousness about there about is this a way for them to get out of the the phase one deal that they just wrote. So I guess what's your opinion of that, and, and is that just news cycle feeding the news cycle? I think it's new cycle feeling the new cycle. The timing was extremely interesting. No, um, yeah, no kidding, right? You know, and, yeah. and, and it could be just coincidence, uh, and, and it probably is. But you know, interesting timing. Mm-hmm. Um, look, uh, you know, I think I would whatever. You know, we don't know what truly what's ever the truth over there, other than to say that there, you know, a lot of people are getting sick. Um, we did hear about this virus a month ago that it was starting to have. Some people being impacted and such forth, and and we have it. And you know, throughout history, we get these flu outbreaks. So the SARS in two thousand and three, you go back to the Spanish flu of two thousand of nineteen eighteen, where fifty million people died because the governments kept it secret, didn't want anyone to know what was going on. I mean, it act. You know, this actually happens. Pretty, you know, on a it, it, there's a cycle to for whatever reason why these things happen and. It's just we're having another one of these. I guess the so the history says um, these things are real. They will have a short-term economic impact. So the GDP of China in 2003 declined by three percent due to SARS. Uh, but what we do know also is it doesn't last forever. It's usually it's a six-month uh, impact, and then there's pent-up demand that uh, that is unleashed once. The disease goes back into hiding. And so history says, you know, we're going to have a slowdown, at least in China and, and maybe some, some ancillary countries for the next three to six months. And then we're going to have a whipsaw demand side event. That's what history says to expect. And so the market right now is trying to determine, you know, what's the appropriate pricing, given the fact that we're going to chop some economic activity down, especially out of China. And they're not sure yet. You know, it's, they're still being driven by daily tweets and sound bites right now you know yeah there's a lot of tweets going on right now um last thing i saw one the other day where it 
Trump put out like 200 and some tweets in a day. <laughs> that can't, that's a humanly that's a Trump, that's a, that's a, 24 hours in a day, that's a, that's a tweet every six minutes. So I don't, I don't know. <laughs> he must have built a robot or something. Oh man, I, I guess, know. man, he must just, I don't know how you do that because that, that was crazy, but it is what it is. All right, so let's take a look at what happened this week. So first part of the week, we, uh, the coronavirus thing happened. Markets kind of got hit pretty hard. Um, I think that was Tuesday, Wednesday. They kind of bounced back. Cattle market was one night thing that didn't, uh, didn't bounce back from that much. So I guess talk about what you see happening in the cattle market. What's some of the uh, drivers behind that? Well, both cattle and hogs got hit really hard. You know, certain markets got hit worse than others. So crude oil got hit really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, cattle and hogs got really hard. The, the, the markets that are more economically sensitive got hit super hard. And, uh, and they really haven't rebounded. Oil hasn't really rebounded, neither has the livestock sector. And so, you know, they're, they're just they're worried. You know, they were expecting all this demand to come in from the trade deal. And, um, and now they're not sure when that will come, how much longer they have to wait. And, and, you know, they were expecting to move product. And so, you know, the market's just sitting there waiting to, to get some evidence, you know, that maybe we'll see that demand revive and it's just not sure. So, so those markets are probably, for now, uh, probably have gone as low as they're going to go, but but they might just kind of bottom and base around for a while here until they kind of get a sense for what the demand profile will look like out of China going forward. Uh, is this just a couple of week blip, or are we going to be seeing them not buy our you know our beef and, and pork for two to three months? That's what the market's trying to determine. So I think it just said, let's think the worst, let's move the markets down, and then let's sit here for a while. That, uh, so I don't think there's a lot more downside. but probably not going to get a bounce out of these markets for a little while uh, until more time goes by. Yeah. So. Yep. So the corn market has been, corn and soybeans both have been, the interday volatility has just been amazing. I mean, you watch one day, it'll be, I get four alerts on my phone. I get the one in the morning, I get a midday, I get a, you know, a, a, and then I get one at the close, you know, I guess it's three. And for whatever reason, the close sends me too. That way, I'm double sure to see how bad it was for the day. And then they have a uh, the volatility that I've noticed in, the, in this week, especially, has been you know you might be down a penny and then you swing back and you're up two and then you're down a quarter and then by the end of the day you, you've broke even. And so it's just been all over the place. Talk about that volatility and what's what's some of the driving factors there. Well, remember, m- much of our markets are driven by computers, algorithms, trading. Um, equations. And I don't believe they have a model for, for, for the coronavirus, meaning we've talked about this, but in the past that, you know, everything's fine if everything that they've anticipated is in the normal parameters, but you throw a coronavirus and the computers actually have no idea how to assimilate that because they weren't taught how to handle, what does that mean? It's a, it's one of these half a percentile events that you get, you know, maybe a couple of times every hundred years and so I think they're very confused. They're buying one day, they're selling another day because they, they, they don't know how to incorporate this variable into their models. And so, so over time, I think they, they, what will happen is they will learn uh, what it means, but they're confused. And that's why we're getting this frenetic trading. Corn's up five, it's down five the next day. Buying and selling, you know, kind of all over the place. The computers are, are just not really sure what, what it means. They're looking at weather that's good in South America. The trade deal can mean a lot of demand. They're confused. I think it just means mass confusion right now on the computers that are running a lot of our markets. And I'm not sure that's going to go away for a while because um, it's going to take some time for them to really get a handle on how should they trade this. 
how should they really trade this? Right. So that's my next point I was going to bring up was uh, South American weather. Um, up until this point, it's been kind of hit or miss on on how dry it is. Um, they, you know, they've been some cautionary tales coming out of there as far as. You know, Argentina's got some dryness, Brazil's got some dryness, and then they've got some wet areas and those kind of things. But this over this last week, and they've had some pretty beneficial rains kind of sweep across the whole area. And the uh, whatever you call it, the their USDA has has increased uh, the what they're feeling like the bushels are going to be, what the overall crops going to look like uh, in Brazil, um, kind of substantially. I mean, they really kind of bumped it up pretty good, I guess. So. What kind of effect do you think that's going to have long term, and, and what do you think? Uh, how do you think that's going to affect what we see up here? Well, remember they're harvesting soybeans already. I think they're six percent right. harvested, and yep. so that's what I saw. Um, you know, as long as we get a good finish, soybeans. You know, we kind of corn. We're just we're still planting the second crop. We really have no idea that the, the uh, it just means we're off to a good start on corn. But with corn, I mean, we still have anything can happen right now. It's like. Planting in late April, early May, do we have any idea what the yield's going to be? We just know if we got off to a good start. Some of these beneficial rains, just getting the corn, second corn crop, the safrina crop off to a good start. Um, Argentina's been a situation where they've been behind a rainfall most of the season, but they've had timely rains. So you look at the vegetative maps, you look at the moisture maps, and you know they're, they're, they're showing that things have not been ideal, but they've gotten some very, very timely rains just when they needed it, just to keep it going. And so that has taken uh, the potential for some poor crops and at least uh, lessen the, the, the worry over it right now. And, uh, and we're continuing to look at some timely rains here over the next week. So right now, Casey, I would have to agree, you know, with some of the uh, uh, revised estimates, you know, the, I think the crops have improved here. And um, so long as that's the case, I mean, that's certainly not going to be a driver for, you know, higher grain prices, at least over the short term. Yeah. So, well, the Black Sea region is making some news actually now on some some of of what they're seeing as far as their crop goes. I guess it was a little. They were kind of. Uh, sounds like from what I've read, they were kind of surprised a little bit by how much uh, actual grain they got out of there, and it looks like they've had a pretty substantial corn crop. Uh, more than what they're expecting, um, they they've increased uh, a lot of uh, exports now from where they were down. Now they're kind of starting to kind of get back to where they're supposed to be for this time of year, and it sounds like they have some some surplus coming out of uh, Russia and Ukraine both. So talk about that area over there and and how how that's kind of playing out. Well, remember specifically with the the wheat market, you know, the wheat market huge rally on on uh, the fact that the Ukraine and Russia had exports for wheat way down. Uh, even Russia put out said they're they're limiting how much they're going to export for the rest of the season because their supplies are a little tight. So they ran the wheat market up, but then all of a sudden, as you said, uh, as you get to the tail end of the of, of trying to count everything, they've they found some more bushels out there, and so all of a sudden the numbers are not great, by the way, but but improving. And when you have a market that was pumped up like the wheat market on, you know, everything's as bad is really really bad. You take a little pressure off. And you get a big correction in the marketplace. So I think for now, wheat's put in a top. You know, I thought, I can't imagine we're going to refire those supply scarcity engines again until we get into uh, the spring season here in the U.S. when I think we're going to have a lot of problems with drought and winter wheat coming out of dormancy. I think we could have a lot of problems refiring up and they're probably a good buying opportunity then. But for now, you know, I think we overpriced the problems out that way and now we're you know, we're, we're getting a lot of selling and, and rethinking about what's the 
true situation. So it looks to me, especially with wheat, you know, that's put in a pretty good top for a while. Yep. All right. So let's talk about um, the, dairy mar- the dairy market for a minute. Um, New Zealand has had some pressure uh, this spring, uh, or their spring anyway, um, and, and uh, summer season about rain and, and high, you know, key production times and those kind of things. Um, looks like the weather has kind of played back and forth a little bit, but it's been very similar to what we saw last year as far as overall um, kind of wetness and, and, and high moisture and those kind of things. So let's take a look at the dairy market because it's kind of been all over the place. We had a big run up and it's kind of settled down a little bit, but it's still pretty favorable in the dairyman's favor. We had a big run up to about 20 last mm-hmm. three uh, on this New Zealand wet cold weather we had all fall and, uh, and into the end of the year. Uh, but, you know, like any weather market, every weather market comes to an end. Right. And then we gave the market over $2 down within a couple of weeks. Um, we're transitioning now. We're kind of transitioning away from when New Zealand's important. And we're moving towards when Europe and U.S. is important. Our peak seasonal production in the U.S. and the EU is the spring. You know, and, and, and New Zealand produces almost no milk in the spring. So we're, we're moving, we're, we're transitioning now to focusing on what we're doing and what Europe is doing. And, and, and because we've had some better pricing, you know, production should be better, uh, supply should be better, and, and we should have some, some surplus in the marketplace. And that means to me that we, you know, that we probably put in a pretty good top there late last year into January for a while, and we're probably going to be in a, in a correction period of the spring, especially with this coronavirus, I mean, it brings demand, you know, questions about what kind of demand will China have for, for global dairy, um, and 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 the idea that maybe they'll pull back on on the demand for global dairy for a little while, you know, it doesn't help. So I think for right now, the, the best times are over, and we're heading for some kind of a an ongoing correction into the spring before we might be able to put a low in and and then turn the market higher. So I would say, best is over for now for dairy. That's not what I wanted you to say. I wanted you to say something nice and positive there, Sean. You're supposed to say dairy market's going to go through the roof, but he didn't. So, all-time record high prices in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> you just didn't. You didn't. You didn't label what that was for, though. So I, I have to. <laughs> you're being vague. You running for office, Sean? <laughs> Actually, you know, I've been at two dairy conferences. Yeah. My projection is we're going to make all-time new highs when we get into 2021, but 2020 is. It's the correction year. The year of a, yeah. a pause Good. before the really, really big move. So I'm really op- actually quite optimistic uh, at probably some of the best profitability dairymen I've ever seen, just not this year. Right Sorry. On. Okay. Well, we'll get through a year, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's, let's talk about sugar market, and then we'll wrap it up. Sugar has been something I've been paying close attention to just because of, of the proximity I am to sugar beets and what we see happening out there. There is uh, – and I'm surprised it's not getting any more coverage than what it's gotten. But sugar market's on the move, and it's steadily climbing up. There's not, it's not like it's some just crazy rocket ship taking off. But every week it just gets a little bit better than it was the week before. And there's a little more news that comes out about the sugar cane markets and and what that looks like in, in Thailand and India and in those areas where there are key growing cycles or key uh, sugar cane growing areas. And we all know what the sugar sugar beet market looked like here in the U.S. So, man, I just think that there's there's something here that's going to come unhinged. I think and, and really kind of explode up. I guess is that are they, is there going to be a bigger play out if we hit this dry season, this this kind of dry area like you're talking about with sugar beets? Is that is that what is going to be a big driver in this market, or do you feel like 
it's just one of those slow but sure climbs up in the market. Well, I mean, uh, sugar usually starts off like this, you know, kind of worked its way higher, but usually it'll start to, um, uh, to get into a, to a spike trade. And it usually gets into a spike trade because Thailand and India exports come up short. So we talked about how we had some really, really poor weather in India, some really, really poor weather in Thailand. Um, uh, yet the market was, you know, not really, they weren't really factoring it in the way that I think, and all of a sudden this past you know, week, you see the India exports that the Indian government, who's always saying they're going to export everything they can, said they're going to miss their expectation on sugar exports because supplies are tighter than they thought. It probably is exactly what they thought, but they have to finally come clean as to why the exports right. are missing the market. Right. And if, if everyone was expecting India to have these large exports to save the market from this deficit that we've been experiencing because of U.S., because of Thailand, because of Brazil converting a lot more sugar over to ethanol and not to refined sugar. And so to me, you know, what we keep, as you just said, we keep adding on to this news and building this space. And so to me, it's, it really looks like we're eventually going to enter more of a swift move higher. This coronavirus, you know, has kind of stunted a little bit. I mean, it's not really down. It just stopped going up and maybe that will keep it um, under wraps for a little while. But I don't think the sugar market will have any impact really to the coronavirus. I think it's going to be more driven by what's going on with these other factors. And so I do think sugar will eventually break out to the upside and get more of a vertical move than, than what we've seen. So it still looks to me to be one of the better markets out there because it's probably the, one of the most least impacted by any coronavirus demand destruction out of China. China's not really, you know, the big player right now in sugar at this point. Right on. All right, Sean, plenty of stuff going on. Folks want to reach out to you, pick your brain about stuff, or just see what you have to offer. What's the best place to do that? Our website at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Lots of stuff on there with videos and podcasts and presentations for them to take a look at to see if we might be able to help, uh, you know, help them with their, their farming operations and their, and their hedging. Right so. on. Also, make sure you guys go out and check out Moving Iron Podcast 171. That's the last uh, Sean and I did that two weeks ago, I believe. And we uh, Sean laid out kind of what he, the whole grand solar cycle, what that looks like, and, and then how we're moving into some turbulent times because of just uh, the natural progression of what the sun does uh, throughout time. So, Sean, I appreciate you being on the podcast, man. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure to check me out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Also, uh, check out my website, movingironllc.com. Um, if you need to email me, feel free to do it at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. Uh, check out the Global Ag Network and all the great stuff they have to offer there. So, I guess I've kind of rambled off here, everything I got. So, I guess until next time, I'm Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. In the 21st century, hard working.